And we are seeing some of the more constructive sectors basically reaching pre-COVID spread tights, which to me kind of brings up the question, how much tighter can we go? Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. With the relative quiet of summer behind us, investors may need to be prepared for a turbulent autumn in fixed income markets. Already, we are seeing tightening in corporate spreads and a lack of issuances across the board with little or no secondary trading underway. In today's episode, Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Matt Montemuro offer insights into the bond markets and innovative ideas on how to get yield in a risky environment. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO GAM Canada for mutual funds and ETFs. This week, we are joined by Chris McKinney and Matt Montemuro, uh, both PMs on our ETF desk. Uh, Chris focuses on equity strategies and derivative strategies, uh, while Matt focuses on the fixed income strategies. Let's, uh, let's get right into things. And, and this week, I'd like to spend a little more time on fixed income as we have been a bit equity focused in the last few weeks. So let's start off with fixed income, where we've been getting a lot of questions of late from, from advisors, you know, generally speaking around curve and credit positioning coming into the fall, where maybe some have been sitting out of the market or, you know, been in, in very short positions. Um, you know, we're actually now through August. It, it feels like we're in a bit of a steadier state with markets continuing to shrug off negative news, risk, and just continuing to tick upwards. But there are risks out there, of course. So what has this meant for fixed income positioning? Um, when you think about you know, the approach of the flu season, the U.S. election, how has fixed income been responding? And Matt, maybe you can take this and Give us a bit of an overview, you know, short versus long, government credit, and where do you see prudent positioning and fixed income uh, considering those risks that are still out there? Thank you. Sure, Mark. Uh, so August, as it, uh, as it normally is, uh, was relatively quiet for, Canadian fixed, for the Canadian fixed income market as a whole. Uh, we saw a slowdown in new issuance, uh, which brought secondary trading to a standstill as uh, investors do seem to be sitting on their hands a little bit, preparing for um, what's to come this fall. Uh, we saw corporate spreads continue to creep in. Um, you know, one of the, the causes of that would be that, that lack of supply in secondary trading. There, there's just not a lot of product um, on the street. So when, when there are corporate buyers, those spreads do start to creep in. And we are seeing some of the more constructive sectors basically reaching pre-COVID spread tights, which to me kind of brings up the question, how much tighter can we go? And, you know, does the market uh, or does the, the risk or does it warrant that, that risk? And, you know, as you mentioned in the question, you know, we have a whole bunch of headwinds coming, coming up 
this fall, you know, being at the pre-COVID tights, uh, which historically are actually, you know, historical tights, uh, does worry me um, somewhat going into the fall. Um, we uh, did see some change in the yield curve positioning uh, with some steepening, uh, potentially highlighting uh, an expected constructive fall and some continued inflation uh, expectations. So, you know, when I look at that steepening with the headwinds and uncertainty that uh, are going through the news and, and kind of, you know, whirlwind around the markets, uh, I do get a little bit of concerned about where corporate spreads are at this point. And I do feel that, that you know, now might be a good opportunity to move your portfolio uh, toward a quality trade, uh, protecting yourself on the downside. Uh, for me, uh, I would look at kind of midterm or long-term government um, positioning, even with that steepening. Uh, you know, we still are in a historically low rate environment, and I think that's going to be something that's persistent uh, over the mid to long term right now. Uh, so I would be looking mid to long um, term government bonds for, as a uh, flight to quality trade. Uh, you know, at BMO ETFs, we offer quite a few different ways to get your government exposure. So from federals, you have ZFM and ZFL. For provincials, you have ZMP and ZPL. Uh, and if you want the one-stop shop, uh, we have ZGB, which is actually one of our fastest growing ETFs right now. And I think a lot of investors are looking toward that flight to quality uh, and providing that downside pr protection from what looks like it could be a turbulent fall. Um, you know, I, I, I personally like the provincial trade right now uh, as it provides some additional yield uh, over uh, your federals. Um, the Pro-V spreads are still remain a little bit elevated versus pre-COVID levels, um, more so than corporate, corporate spreads. And we do see an underutilized provincial bond purchasing program by the Bank of Canada that should provide um, a little bit of a safety net and, and keep spray, spreads range bound if we do see an uptick in volatility. So overall, I would look to, to start to, to move toward quality um, in the mid to long, long uh, end. Um, I still view uh, duration as, uh, as a benefit right now, taking that extra yield. Um, and I, I think that we are in a longer term, low rate environment, even though we did see some steepening uh, to, to end the summer. So that's kind of where I would position myself. And, you know, we did see a little bit of underperformance in longer and, and government credit uh, to end the summer. So that's where I'd want to kind of pick up on that, that little dip, uh, you know, sell high in my, my credit right now and, and take advantage of, of, of uh, or take my risk off the table for what could be and I think should be a, a pretty volatile fall. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And, you know, that really makes sense when, when you pay attention to, to spreads and, of course, to equity markets. And taking a little bit of that credit risk off the table and making sure you've got some some duration in the portfolio as as protection uh, certainly makes sense, particularly if you know over the last three four months you've, you've been riding credit and benefiting from those those spreads coming in. Another fixed income uh, ETF question for you, Matt. We've been getting a lot of questions lately on uh, ZEF or emerging market bond ETFs. Um, you know, when we look to emerging markets, we, we've seen a stronger response on, on COVID-19. 
uh, I won't call it quite containment, but but certainly uh, they they seem to be ahead of North America in particular in in, in dealing with the virus. And, and we've seen you know a great recovery in in e, the EM equity trade. Now we've got such low fixed income yields. Advisors have certainly been looking for different types of alternatives to to complement their traditional fixed income holdings. So can you walk us through uh, for a few minutes uh, the construction of ZEF, uh, what performance has, has looked like post the, the March correction? And for those looking to use it, uh, your thoughts on how to implement it in a portfolio. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So ZEF and, and emerging market debt is definitely a topic that we're hearing more and more questions about. Uh, with yields, as you, as you mentioned, at you know record lows, you know, and clients who have yield needs from their portfolios, uh, ZDF can act as a as a, as a good complementary uh, piece for that search of yield. Uh, so let's start with kind of how ZDF is constructed. So it provides exposure to one to ten year hard currency, so U.S. denominated emerging market debt, and it's currency hedged. Uh, all bonds are run through thorough liquidity analysis to ensure the por- portfolio is as liquid as possible. So, you know, especially during some more volatile ta- times, you want to make sure that your emerging market uh, bond exposure is as liquid as it can be. Um, so the um, eligible country set is divided into four regions. So that's LATAM, uh, Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa, and Asia. And once they have uh, the eligible countries within those regions, uh, they run through a liquidity analysis to select what the eligible countries are. Uh, The portfolio then will use a GDP weighting methodology to weight each country. Essentially, what we want to do is allocate more to countries with strong GDP. So they have stronger ability to grow. They have stronger ability to pay back their debt versus versus more traditional uh, indices that are weighted on indebtedness or debt outstanding. So what we really don't want to do, we we don't want to reward countries who just issue more debt because we feel that the more debt you issue, you know, you could put a financial strain on on your, your country and your ability to pay back that debt. So what we're doing with this GDP weighting methodology is essentially we're putting a quality screen and a quality, a quality weighting methodology within the portfolio, protecting you a little bit on the downside of, of, of investing in emerging markets. So with that quality screen, screen what do we get? Um, at the output from a credit perspective, ZDF is actually 70% investment grade and 30% high yield, which I think is surprising to a lot of investors that they're getting such uh, a high percentage of investment grade credit in an emerging market bond fund. Um, and so from a performance perspective, uh, EM debt has performed quite, quite well to, to, for the year. It's outperformed high yield year to date uh, and has returned about 10% since uh, the end of March, so since the volatility that we saw in March. Um, so, and, and with yield being historically low, uh, ZDF does provide a yield enhancement, so a yield close to about 3%, while providing significant diversification benefits from a portfolio construction standpoint. So here's the extra part where I think that ZDF 
is a very, very um, strong complement to a traditional fixed income portfolio uh, because due to low correlations uh, with the Canadian fixed income universe, uh, the implementation of emerging market bonds or, or ZEF actually reduces overall portfolio volatility um, on a, from a portfolio construction um, perspective. So you're enhancing your yield, but you're also providing uh, non-correlated assets to help stabilize your fixed income allocation throughout the fall. So I think ZEF is something that we're talking about uh, regularly now, and it's a great complement from a portfolio standpoint because it is uncorrelated to your traditional uh, um, fixed income, as well as providing that yield enhancement that you need. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. We also encourage you to tune in to our deep dive episodes, where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Our latest episode takes a sweeping look at alternatives, focusing on gold, infrastructure, and REITs to help investors complete their portfolios with investments that are lowly correlated to equities and fixed income. Check it out. Episode number 29 in this same podcast series. So Chris, you've been waiting a few minutes. Uh, let's, let's turn to you now on the equity sides of things. Um, following our theme of defensive growth, how has ZUQ, our U.S. quality ETF, uh, fared now through the end of August? You know, we've turned around, we've added currency hedge, USD tickers this summer. Uh, so looking at different ways to gain this exposure, has this portfolio continued to then provide that value for advisors? And what do you think that looks like into the fall? Thank you. Thanks, Mark. And essentially, you know, the theme for August was, you know, what, what had been working uh, continued to work and it worked very well. And so the quality uh, trade that we've been talking about for the past few months now um, performed very well through the month of August. Um, you know, equity markets in general were, were fairly strong. Uh, S&P was up a little over 4% in Canadian dollar terms, um, almost 7% in U.S. dollar terms. So very strong um, equities in general, and, and the quality trade outperformed that even. So our U.S. quality ETF up uh, just over 5%. Um, you mentioned we added uh, currency hedged option and USD options. Very good timing, actually, if you did um, take advantage of that as the currency hedged version um, added probably 2 2.5% in the month of August as the US dollar continued to uh, depreciate versus the Canadian dollar. And so that ZUQ.F, that hedged currency hedged version, um, returned almost 8% in the month of August. So very, very strong returns um, um, in that month. You know, going forward, uh, certainly we don't expect 8% uh, a month uh, out, of, out of our equities in general, um, but we do continue to, to recommend the quality trade, and we do continue to like that through the fall and through, um, you know, what's certain to become a time of, of uncertainty. Um, you know, outside of, of course, the election coming up in November in the U.S., um, you know, I think there's going to be a, a lot of focus on the economic recovery, how companies are continuing um, to fare, and having a quality tilt to your equities. And remember, one of the main screens of, of the quality factor is low debt to equity. So low levels of debt 
And for companies that, you know, have been struggling over the last few months, um, as, as emergency stimulus plans start to run out, um, and certainly there's big news for, for airlines um, as September 1 uh, was, the, was the end of uh, some of their stimulus packages, um, you think you're going to start to see strain on a lot of balance sheets here uh, uh, for companies that have been just treading water um, as the economic recovery continues at a slow pace. Um, you know, we have talked about, you know, a bifurcation of the market where certain sectors are doing actually stronger than they have before. Uh, but for those sectors that aren't, um, we expect continued weakness and a, and a very, very slow recovery for some of those other sectors. And so having that quality till we think is going to continue to make a lot of sense, um, not just for, you know, the companies that have proven to have consistent earnings and low debt, um, but also just to hedge against some of those other uncertainties that we see coming up. And, and Matt talked about a little bit as well um, coming out uh, into the fall. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to hear that uh, one of our main recommendations has uh, has continued to perform well and add value for advisors. Um, let's talk about an ETF that we haven't spent as much time on, uh, ZDJ, our Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, ETF because we did see some activity in this index uh, last week. Uh, where of course, this is you know, the oldest market barometer out there making up, made up of 30 industry leaders, but we saw some changes last week. Uh, can you bring us up to speed on that activity? And as well, just a, a few comments on, on how the Dow has performed compared to, let's say, the S&P 500, leading to you know, thoughts on how you might uh, use this in a portfolio. Thanks. Sure. And just a reminder that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is what's called a price-weighted index. So in essence, it's the equivalent of owning one share of each stock in that portfolio or in that index. And so you have 30 different stocks and the price you pay for that stock uh, represents the weight uh, of, of that stock within the index. And so um, there, there were some changes, as you mentioned. You know, We don't see that very often in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I think there's only been on average, uh, one change every two years over the last several decades. Um, and this was precipitated by Apple's announcement of their of their share split, their stock split. And so they, they split four shares for every one existing share. And Apple being the largest component of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, at, uh, it was about a 12% weight. Um, when, when they announced their stock split, that would mean that Apple would move down to a 3% weight in the overall index and taking a, a large um, uh, allocation to information technology with it. And so, um, you know, the, the powers that be that, that run this index took a look at it and made a few changes in order to balance out um, some, of, some of that activity. And so, again, Apple's weight overall was cut. Uh, what they did uh, for this index to, to keep that technology weight somewhat higher is um, ExxonMobil was removed and Salesforce.com was put in, in its place. Um, so uh, uh, swapping out an energy name for a technology name. The other changes that were made, and uh, again, quite, quite a big one in terms of the Dow, uh, Pfizer replaced by Amgen and uh, Raytheon Technologies replaced by Honeywell. And so those are two names, kind of sector neutral um, changes there. But the big thing there is that uh, the stocks that were going out had, had low 
uh, stock prices and the stocks that are coming in that have higher stock prices. And so there's a bit more balance now uh, across the, the 30 different companies that are in the portfolio or in the, in, in the index. On a net basis, uh, what, that, what that change did to some of those sector weights, technology did still come down a little bit from, it was almost 28% down to 24. And most of that moved into the, the healthcare sector, um, upweighted from 14 up to uh, 18%. And so, you know, what you're left with is actually quite, quite a nice, nicely balanced across different sectors. You know, this index, the, the goal of it is supposed to be representative of the, of the U.S. market, even though it contains 30 stocks. Uh, those sector weights in which those, those 30 stocks operate tend to be fairly well diversified and do look somewhat like, um, you know, some of the other broader measures of, of the U.S. equity market. The companies in here, though, of course, are the, those mega caps, those blue chip mega caps that tend to have, at least one would expect, a little bit more um, exposures to global um, uh, consumers or global customers. And so having a little bit more exposure outside of just U.S. Um, equities. And so when you're looking at adding this type of exposure to your portfolio, that's what you want to keep in mind. Um, you know, maybe you want uh, the, the high quality U.S. equities um, that you can get the Dow, uh, but you, you want that sort of global exposure. And these companies tend to be those multinationals that have operations uh, around the world and not just in the U.S. And so, you know, if you think some some growth might be coming elsewhere outside of just the U.S. Uh, in, in, in the future, uh, these are some of the companies you might want to look at, and this exposure might be one you want to add. In a similar way, because they are very tend to be very well-established companies, those blue-chip companies, there is a little bit of that quality tilt to this as well. Again, it's, it's quite... Um, concentrated within the within the names that it owns, but diversified across sectors as well. And so there is a little bit of that quality tilt. You're buying sort, sort of the best in breed of each sector uh, with the Dow Jones. And, and that's what you would think about if you want to add a little bit of this exposure to your portfolio. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at the Dow, a lot of, a lot of people just uh, assume there really are no changes. So, uh, quite a bit of activity going on in that index and therefore that ETF. So appreciate that, uh, that update from you. And maybe uh, just uh, one comment, sorry, I, I, I failed to mention uh, you had asked about performance as well. Um, and we actually did see strong performance out of the Dow in, in the month of August, uh, similar to some of those other uh, indices we were talking about, um, very strong month that almost matched the S&P 500. But import, more importantly, um, brought the Dow back up to sort of break even on a year-to-date basis. So, you know, coming out of the, the March crash, the Dow was the one U.S. index that had kind of been lagging. You know, the S&P and NASDAQ had performed very well um, up, until, up until this point coming out of the, out of the uh, March uh, crash. But the Dow had been the, the, the one laggard, and, and we've started to see that catch up. And again, it's a bit more... Um, interestingly, although it's only 30 companies versus 500 for the S&P, um, some consider it to be a little bit more diversified. Um, again, because of that sector exposure, uh, you're, not, you're not concentrated as the S&P is starting to get in, in, in any one sector. And so um, it's a bit more of a, a broad-based measure on, on U.S. economic growth. And we, again, we've seen that sort of get back to break even now for, uh, for 2020 so far. Thanks, Chris. I was going to just jump in on performance. You've covered that. Uh, in terms of positioning, you know, I always think of this index as being, or this ETF as, 
a true mega cap, uh, only 30 names in it, industry leaders. So if you're really looking for a bit more of a defensive approach to getting that U.S. exposure, I, I think this is an interesting uh, ticker to look at as well, said DJ. Um, I want to ask one more question before we go to the lines. Uh, we, we've seen CAD uh, certainly appreciate versus USD uh, now at about 77 cents or, or 130 if you look at it the other way around. Um, getting a lot of questions in from advisors now about uh, hedging or not hedging. Uh, we're reaching the point, you would have to think, where a lot of people would typically look for more uh, USD exposure. Uh, but then there's other questions out there, you know, with, with the stimulus, um, with monetary policy, whether that USD will, will continue to weaken. Um, so what are you seeing in the markets in terms of moving to unhedged ETFs, uh, if at all? Thanks. Thanks. And, um, yeah, just again, echoing, uh, what, what we saw in August, you know, a two and a half percent move, actually a little bit higher on the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar. So continuing to see that U.S. dollar weakening. And I think, you know, the, the case can be made that, um, you know, going forward, we are, we're going to continue to see a, a weaker U.S. dollar, largely on uh, stimulus and monetary easing that we've seen. Um, that is, you know, pretty much miles ahead of what every, every other country is doing, although most countries are in, are in the same boat. Um, you know, the one question that, that remains to be asked, though, if the U.S. dollar is weakening, is, is, is the Canadian dollar um, going to, to strengthen against it, or is the Canadian dollar relatively going to be weak as well? Um, you know, one of the, one of the uh, inputs into that question is going to be what happens to commodity prices. And, you know, Canada, largely known for oil, but, you know, we do have other commodities up here as well. And if industrial production picks up, if some of those industrial metals um, start to increase in value, you could see a, a bit of a bid to the Canadian dollar uh, relative to the U.S. dollar. You know, coming out of the 2008-2009 financial crisis, you know, when QE became a, a household name, so to speak, uh, we saw the the U.S. dollar really, really weaken significantly, and we actually got to parity against the Canadian dollar. You know, at that time, commodities did have a little bit of a, a leg behind them, and so that helped to prop up the Canadian dollar. Um, we think this time it, it might be a little bit different. We don't see a strong uh, oil price and things like that. Even if we do get a bit of a bid to some commodities, it won't be as strong. Uh, as we've seen in the past. And so you, you, you could see a, a nice floor in the Canadian dollar and have the U.S. dollar continue to weaken against that. Um, however, it's a the, the, the outlook is a little bit more mixed or a little bit more foggy than, than what we've seen in the past when, when we're talking about quantitative easing. Um, you know, the other thing that might tip the scales here is the U.S. election. Donald Trump has had Typically, policies that would that would favor a stronger U.S. dollar and prop up a stronger dollar, and so you might expect a continuation of those policies if he uh, gets reelected. Uh, whereas Joe Biden might have a bit more of a softer U.S. dollar um, set of policies, and so that might be something that tips the scales uh, as well as, as that plays out in terms of which way the Canadian dollar is going to go versus the U.S. dollar. But in terms of flows. You know, we haven't seen that big uptick of flows yet coming back into those U.S. dollar exposures. So to your point, maybe investors are still 
um, looking for the Canadian dollar to continue to appreciate and, and keep those hedge to CAD exposures on. Um, you know, we've seen a little bit of switching back into unhedged exposures, but it hasn't been to the same degree as we might have seen in the past when we get to this level at the exchange rate. Great. Thanks for, for covering that, Chris. I think it's uh, certainly an interesting point when you're looking at currency exposure right now, certainly CCAD strengthening the question of how far it's going to go is uh, front and center for a lot of people. So with that, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line. Hi, uh, this is Esther here. I have a question on um, regards to the ultra short-term uh, bond fund ZST. Um, there's been a lot of confusion here. If you could just address the, um, the yield to maturity as it relates to the total return and distribution yield. Um, and is this still a viable option as a, for a cash alternative or a high interest savings account? Thank you. Sure, Esther, I can, uh, I can take that one. Um, why don't I discuss uh, all fixed income? Because I think this, uh, it doesn't just impact the ultra short term. So let's see, it, it impacts all fixed income um, ETFs, funds, and, and bonds for that matter. Um, so you know, due to dra the drastic changes that we've seen in rates that we've experienced this year, um, the topic of fixed income returns has, has been coming up a lot lately. Um, so why don't I break down kind of how they work and what you can expect from a, from an investor perspective. So, you know, as you know, bonds pay out a coupon and, and that's fixed. So bond funds will pay the distribution yield, which is equal to that coupon. That coupon is, is, will be taxed as income. So in a market where interest rates have dropped drastically, the yield to maturity uh, will fall with those drops but the coupons will, will, will remain the same. So the distribution yield will align with that coupon, which again, is fixed, where the yield to maturity will then move with how interest rates have moved. And therefore this year have come down quite significantly. So from a tax perspective or from an earning perspective, uh, investors will be paid that higher coupon uh, with bonds be, uh, trading at a premium. But from a total return perspective, they're only actually going to earn the yield to maturity. So what they'll experience is they'll earn income through that higher coupon, and they'll earn a capital loss from bonds that are at a premium, moving slowly toward maturity and maturing at par. That combination will be the yield to maturity. So from a total return perspective, the client is actually earning the yield to maturity, and that should be the expectation um, of, of an, a fixed income investor is what they, they uh, will earn. So why is this problematic? Why is it coming up more often? Well, when yields and the yield to maturity comes down, that differential between distribution yield or coupon and yield to maturity, they're not aligned anymore. So you're basically earning a higher amount than the uh, in coupon than you would in yield to maturity. This is a product of, that, that we're facing in the entire fixed income uh, universe. So that's why it's, it's prudent to always look at putting your fixed income exposure in a non-taxable account um, because that differential, that coupon that you are being taxed on uh, in the current environment is actually much higher than what you're actually earning from a yield to maturity perspective. So once you uh, have, once that's taxed as income, it becomes punitive 
to own fixed income in a in a taxable account. So we, when we always uh, look at our fixed income products, and, and it's unfortunately a product of the current environment, uh, we always want to look to own your fixed income in a non-taxable account, which will help alleviate uh, that yield uh, to maturity and coupon differential. And I think that's kind of a where uh, we see a lot of the confusion as looking at distribution yield. But from a total return perspective, you should be looking at yield to maturity to, to set your expectations. Thank you. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, really interesting, uh, great conversation, by the way. Just uh, really interested to really get your take on uh, what do you make of the Fed's new approach to your control and to inflation? And as a Canadian investor, so what does that really mean for me? And uh, do you really see the Bank of Canada following a similar path going forward as well? Thank you. Yeah, so the Fed, uh, as you mentioned, changed their approach to inflation targeting. And in the past, they had an explicit 2% target uh, for inflation. And the change they made, it, it was a subtle change, but what, they, what they've done is say they, they now target an average of 2% inflation over time. And so what that leads you to believe is that if there's a period of time where inflation is below 2%, they will allow inflation to run above 2%. For a period of time, um, and, and that that will kind of average it out. And so, um, you know, the expectation coming out of that is, is that they're really, really going to be very slow uh, to, to raise those short-term interest rates in response to an uptick in, in inflation if they see one. Um, you know, now if you take a look back at what inflation has been, you know, the Fed still hasn't been able to to, to hit that two percent inflation target. Um, for several years, and so there's a question if, if that will even come into play or not. Uh, but what might change is, um, you know, we saw a series of interest rate increases through 2017-2018. Um, as inflation did start to tick up, you know, the Fed was concerned with inflation getting above 2%. And so, you know, going forward in that same sort of environment, you might see them be a little bit slower to act um, on that and, and not have as many inflation or uh, interest rate hikes sort of out of the gate as soon as we start to see inflation tick up. And of course, you know, for, for fixed income investors, that, that is, if you expect inflation will get above 2% for a period of time, you know, that, that definitely hurts uh, fixed income investors, you know, with yields already as low as they are. Um, we, we just heard about, um, you know, taxable fixed income as well and how punitive that can be. Um, you know, if you take inflation into account as well, uh, that could potentially be running above 2%. Um, that, that's just going to be another headwind for fixed income investors in general. Um, you know, and we, we were talking about currency just, just before this as well. And so that could lead uh, to further U.S. dollar weakness if, if this is the path they take and, and continue to take. Um, you know, in, in terms of the Bank of Canada following suit, I, I wouldn't expect the Bank of Canada to explicitly follow suit. You know, of course, we do have a new leader at the Bank of Canada, so we're still just getting to getting to know him and what his policies are going to be. But um, I wouldn't expect an explicit um, copycat from the Bank of Canada. However, um, you know, historically, the Bank of Canada has been somewhat um, tied to what the U.S. is doing. You know, they certainly don't act in lockstep with the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve, but they tend to keep a fairly close 
um, overnight rate as what the U.S. does and, and tend to move in similar fashions at, at similar times. So I, I don't see the Bank of Canada taking the exact same approach, but it does mean lower for longer um, in general. And if the, if the U.S. is not raising rates at all, and we've heard, um, you know, Jay Powell say they're not thinking about thinking about raising rates. Um, you know, in that sense, you know, it's a positive for fixed income in that sense that, you know, higher rates would hurt, um, you know, that duration component. Um, and so you can be comfortable that that's not going to happen. But, um, you know, if inflation does start to pick up, even if the overnight rate does not move up, you can see lo- you might see longer term uh, parts of the curve start to move as well. So um, I think it's something that in fixed income investors, just something else they're going to have to keep an eye on. Because uh, as I said, you know, it's already a challenging environment for fixed income. And this, you know, going forward, uh, again, depending how long it's going to take to play out here, um, is just another headwind to uh, to keep an eye on. Okay, thank you. So it makes sense to take a little bit of duration right now if rates are staying, you know, lower for longer. That's right, yeah. And uh, again, it's uh, it'll be hard to see, you know, when that inflation does start to tick up, but as it does, you can start to see, you'll probably see the longer end, you know, maybe start to uh, to tick up in terms of uh, yields. But, you know, we think um, certainly for now that, that duration is, is safe. Thank you. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just quickly add what they're trying to do is, is take off their constraints if they do start to see inflation. It allows them to be more flexible with policy uh, be more responsive to perhaps some some political direction uh, without having to quickly uh, clamp down on inflation. And you know, if you do get those spikes, that of course would be uh, a, a negative uh, impact on fixed income investors. Uh, but with that, just uh, watching the time, I think we'll we'll wrap it up here. I'd like to thank both Chris and Matt for joining us today. Appreciate your time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Matt Matimiro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard why it may be time for bond investors to take their gains to safer ground with ZGB, a BMO ETF that offers well-rounded exposure to Canadian government bonds. We also heard about ZEF, the new BMO Emerging Markets Bond ETF, and ZDJ, the Dow's Industrial Average ETF, both of which offer a strong complement to the traditional fixed income sleeve. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or simply visit bmoetfs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions that you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at bmo.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.